There's more mischief, mayhem, and nefarious goings-on in the city of brotherly love than Billy Penn could have ever imagined. We've got it all here on the Twisted Billy Podcast. True crime, haunted history, the coolest and creepiest places to visit. Welcome, Welcome to, to Twisted, Twisted Billy. Billy. Hey Twisters, what up? Welcome back to another episode of Twisted Philly. I want to thank you for listening to the last episode, Halloween Happenings. I hope you get an opportunity to go out and check out some of the cool events around the city leading up to Halloween. And if you do, drop me a note on social media or send me an email at twistedphilly at outlook.com. Let me know where you went, what did you do, what did you think of it. One of the events I'm trying to get to this weekend is Tales from the Tomb at Laurel Hill Cemetery on Friday night. All right, let's get down to some what-ups. A huge Twisted Philly what-up to a podcast that I love and a podcast host who I've gotten to know a little bit over the last few months. This goes out to the Vanished podcast. This show is blowing up, and it should blow up because it's phenomenal. And when I say blow up, I mean like blowing up exploding in the best possible way ever. Today, this show landed in the very top picture scroll bar of featured podcast. Like, that's a podcaster's dream. So congratulations, well-earned, well-deserved. If you guys aren't listening to The Vanished and you're a true crime fan, you need to check it out. The format is unlike many other podcasts I've ever listened to. The hosts spend so much time really connecting with families of missing persons. It's really quite amazing and fascinating. And it makes sense that it's like way up at the top of everything that's featured. So congratulations and what up to the Vanish podcast. Speaking in general about podcasts, I have to say starting Twisted Philly is probably one of the best things I've ever done in my entire life, in my 47 years on the planet. Yeah, I just admitted my age. I'm 47. Why I waited this long to do something insanely creative that was really just for me, at least when I started, I don't know, right? We, we get these ideas and these bursts of creative inspiration and we think, I should do that or I could do that. And then we don't. We let life and work and family, I don't want to say get in the way because they are all so very important. But sometimes as individuals, and especially as women, no offense guys, but I think women do this a little more often than men. But sometimes as individuals, we'll take our personal passion and we'll just sort of shove it behind everything else. As awesome as it is to watch a listener base grow, it's also awesome just to do something for yourself that you love. One of the coolest things that has come out of me creating Twisted Philly, not only talking about all of the things that I love about this city, but talking about it with you with people that I know, with people that I don't know, with people that I'm getting to know. I've made some unbelievable friends in the podcasting community. I've met some amazing people on social media that I chat with every single day. We've never met and we may never meet, but I look forward to it. I look forward to tweets from certain people and I look forward to what the other women in true crime podcasting have to share, not just about their podcast, but about their families and their friends and their goals. Okay, I know I'm ranting and I'm sort of off on a little bit of a tangent before I even get into the episode, but I just can't stress enough. If you want to do something creative, just friggin' do it. Don't wait for the time to be right. Don't wait until you have the best microphone, which obviously I don't. Write that book. I've been doing that as well. Like, just do it. 
And I think I just quoted Nike, which is not something I thought I would ever do. Okay, that's my shameless plug to live your joy. All right, so back to the what-ups. A big Twisted Philly what-up to my friend Kenya. She posted, like, the kindest, most loving review about the podcast. I'm so psyched that she's listening. She is the sister of another dear friend of mine who listens, my friend Ina, who I have known for half my life. These women are amazing, and they're so supportive, and I'm just ridiculously grateful for the support and kindness and response that I get from people. And I know I gush about that a lot, but, like, I'm just so friggin' humble. And you've probably noticed I'm trying to say frigging this episode and not what usually flies out of my mouth. I'm probably going to have to edit this episode a little bit more than my other episodes because the story in today's episode is something that I think a little twister might be listening to. I found out that the son of a fellow podcaster likes stories about Bigfoot. Now, this is not a story about Bigfoot, but there's an element similar to Bigfoot in it. And I hope that he can listen to at least that segment of this show. So I'm really trying to police myself. And it probably sounds a little ridiculous, but here's the thing. When I do this show, it's like you're sitting in my living room with me and we are chilling And maybe you've got a beer. Maybe I have a glass of wine. I rarely drink, but maybe I'll treat myself because you came over to hang out. And I'm not at work and I'm not in a super professional environment. I'm just being me. And when I'm just being me, the F-bombs fly um, as well as a few other choice words. So, but I'm really going to make an effort. And if I don't succeed, I'll just edit it out. But that's only for this episode because I'm going to continue being my normal self in the next episode after this one. This is for the little twister who likes Bigfoot. Many of the episodes I've told so far have been big stories, or at least what I think are big stories. They've been big Philly locations, some big Philly true crime stories, and I'm always thinking about episode topics. I'm always thinking about what stories I want to share with you. And even though I say I'm not true crime all the time, it definitely is one of my most favorite topics. Twisted Philly and Pennsylvania are never at a loss for nefarious murders. We've also talked about haunted history and historical places to visit, but I realized recently that I haven't covered any legends, and I love a good legend. I am one of those weird people who actually believe that the legends hold some element of truth to them. Like, obviously, I don't believe that unicorns exist today, But I do think it's possible that even hundreds or thousands of years ago, maybe there was some weird horse-like creature with a horn on its head. Yeah, I think that's absolutely possible. There are some crazy legends in Philly and some even better ones a little bit further outside the city as you get a little closer to the country. There's a legend of the Suscon Screamer. There have been Thunderbird sightings even as recently as only about 20 years ago. So when I thought about what legend I wanted to share with Twisted Philly listeners, I was trying to pick something that might be a little less well-known, and I thought of a story that my grandfather used to tell me when I was very little. And so I started researching that story, and I discovered that there was another story that was very similar. And the story I discovered was familiar to me because it was almost identical to a story I heard when I was about six years old, except it happened somewhere else. So when I was little, my grandparents lived in a town called Broomall. That's a suburb of Philadelphia. It's in Delaware County. I used to spend almost every day at my grandparents' house for, I don't know, a couple of years when I was very young, either because my mom was there with my brother and I when we were tiny, or because once my mom went to work when we were older, we would go and stay with my grandmom and grandpa after school. 
My grandpa passed away when I was seven, but I still have such vivid memories of him. I remember when he got sick. I don't remember exactly what it was, but when he was ill, he used to take little walks around the neighborhood, and I would go for walks with him every chance I got. Now, my grandparents' house was almost the last house on their street, and they lived on a street called Winding Way. My grandfather built a sundial in the front yard, and I love that sundial. Forty years later, I drive past their house a couple of times a year. I don't even know how many people have owned that house since my grandparents lived there, which was a really long time ago. But that same sundial is in the front yard, and I swear one of these days I'm going to knock on the door and ask the owners if I can buy it. Maybe I should create, I don't know, like a Twisted Philly GoFundMe sundial page or something. There was a road near my grandparents' house, and the road is closed down now. It may have even closed when I was in my teens, and it was called Langford Road. Now, this road was a shortcut from my grandparents' neighborhood to a more commercial part of town, and this road always scared me when I was little. It was so woodsy and I don't know, maybe Langford Road should have been the one called Winding Way because it was so windy and curvy. And there was an enormous cliff on one side of the road, and it was so spooky when I was little. I think the woods behind my grandparents' house eventually connected with the woods on Langford Road, too. So one day when I was out walking with my grandpa, he told me a legend about that cliff on Langford Road, the cliff not far from his house. And what he told me was that a long time ago, an Indian princess fell in love with a man her family wouldn't let her marry, and she flung herself off the top of the cliff to her death below. Grandpa, what the hell? How can you tell that story to a six-year-old? I don't remember being scared of the story at the time, but when I think about it now, it's like letting little kids listen to true crime. I don't want to think about little six-year-old me listening to stories about spurned love and suicide. So when I found this legend through my research, I didn't realize that it was a different location in Pennsylvania where this story originated. This story did not happen down the street from my grandparents' house. It happened in Lancaster County at a place called Chickie's Rock next to the Susquehanna River. So Maria out in Lancaster, if you've ever been there, you need to hit me up on Facebook and talk to me about Chickie's Rock. What the hell, again, like, Grandpa, you can't bogart someone else's legend and pass it off as a local story from your neighborhood. That is not cool. And so then when I found this story about Chickie's Rock, I called my mom and I asked her, like, hey, you remember that story that Grandpa used to tell, the one about the Indian princess? And before I could finish my sentence, my mom says, oh, yeah, I remember that. Your grandfather was full of stories. I never knew where he got them. Well, I know where he got them. He stole them. He stole them from other parts of the state. And honestly, like, I think that makes me love my grandfather even more because it means he was a little twisted. So maybe that's where I get it from. In fairness to Chickie's Rock, I think it's only fitting that I don't tell you the story my grandfather told me, but that I tell you the true legend of Chicxulunga, which is the original Susquehannock Native American name of Chickie's Rock. And that means place of crayfish. I have no idea if the part of the Susquehanna that's near Chickie's Rock has a lot of crayfish in it, but that's what the translation means. Chickie's Rock is this enormous quartzite rock formation, and it sits about 100 feet above the Susquehanna River in Lancaster County in Chickie's Rock County Park. The area was primarily home to the Susquehannock Native Americans until European settlers moved in during the 18th and 19th centuries and then built furnaces to support a village. 
So, yeah, once again, in early American history, even here in Pennsylvania, the Native Americans are getting pushed out of their land. The village that they built actually thrived until the early 1900s when the furnaces were shut down. And today you can actually see relics from that village and the furnaces at the base of Chickie's Rock. And guess what? They're supposed to be haunted. If you're into hiking and trail climbing and rock climbing, this would be a really terrific spot to visit. And it's only about an hour, maybe an hour and a half outside of Philadelphia. I like nature trails. I like power walking. I'm not into rock climbing, but what I would rather know is what sort of twisted stuff, see, I caught myself, happened along the nature trail. So like the story my grandpa told me, the earliest legends of Chickie's Rock surround stories of a Native American girl, but I don't know if she really was a princess. I think my grandpa added that part to soften the murder-suicide story he thought fit to tell me. Oh, it's a princess that jumped off a cliff in a pretty dress. Like, that makes it okay. So there's two early stories from the Susquehannock tribe. One is the story of two young Native Americans who fell in love and in a lover's suicide pact threw themselves off Chickie's Rock. The other story, the one that's closer to the story my grandfather told me, is of a young woman who fell in love with a white man. And her family, of course, didn't approve, and her intended slit the throat of her lover, and then in agony, she threw herself off the cliff. There are reports at Chickie's Rock of all sorts of ghosts. The ghosts of young lovers who took their own life and reports of ghosts from the Susquehannock Indian tribe hundreds of years ago. And people claim to see the ghost of a young Native American girl. In the 60s, there were a group of teenagers who reported seeing a misty apparition, like silver fog floating above the trees around Chickie's Rock. And then they admitted they made it up. But did they? Because since then, even as recent as within the last few years, numerous people who visit Chickie's Rock have claimed to see the very same silvery mist. One of the craziest ghost stories I found about this park started in the mid-1940s. There were a group of women having a picnic lunch at the park on a scenic lookout, and one of the women realized she forgot the water she brought for everyone. I don't know. Was it water? Was it wine? Based on what they saw, I'm wondering if they were drinking a little bit. She and a few of her friends left the lookout. They went to her car to get the water, and on their way back, they saw what they reported as a ghost that was taller than two or three men. So we're talking something like 16 feet high. He had no arms, and he looked like he was wrapped up like a mummy. And there's two different reports about this particular ghost. One claimed he had arrows protruding from his body, and another said it was knives. I would have an easier time believing in an armless mummy ghost if he was maybe six feet tall and not 16 feet tall. And how the hell did he get mummified? There's also a ghost called the shadow ghost. And this is a dark shadowy figure of a man seen wearing a fedora and a cape. I call him the Zorro ghost because he sounds like Zorro to me. And you guys know from listening to the show, I do believe in ghosts. I do believe in hauntings. But I struggle with these reports of the ghosts and apparitions that are seen at Chickie's Rock. They're almost too fantastic to be believed. The ghosts of several men are said to appear and disappear along the railroad tracks that run along the base of Chickie's Rock. Now here's the story for the little twister who likes Bigfoot. Even stranger than the 16-foot-tall ghost is a story coming out of Chickie's Rock about a little Bigfoot. Hundreds of years ago, the Susquehannock Indians living in this area carved the image of little hairy men onto their battle shields. There have been reports for hundreds of years of visitors at Chickie's Rock seeing little hairy people about three or four feet tall covered in hair, like head to toe, like cousin it. 
And these creatures are called the Albert Witches, which translates into apple snitch, because apparently these little hairy guys like to steal apples that grow in nearby trees around Chickie's Rock. And they'll steal apples from people who are picnicking at Chickie's Rock. Okay, I read as much as I could about these Albert witches and these little tiny Bigfoot people because, I mean, I've lived in Pennsylvania my whole life. I've spent time in Lancaster County. My parents were big into antiquing. I've never been to Chickie's Rock, but I've been in and around that area a lot. And I've never heard anything about these little creatures. The sighting of these little Bigfoot people roaming the woods are still coming out of the park. Like the most recent one was only about 10 years ago. I wish I had the name of the person who saw those critters, to me, it sounds like our very own version of Shaka from Land of the Lost, right here in Pennsylvania. Does that mean we have slee stacks? Like, that's what I started to research. Is this the origin for some of the storylines in Land of the Lost? And that's something I would love to search for. Is Chickie's Rock the inspiration for where Marshall, Will, and Holly went through the portal? Or did the producers of Land of the Lost actually know about the legend of the Albert Witches, these little mini Bigfoots, and that's how they created Shaka? There's got to be a connection. I just haven't found it yet. And if we have a little twistner listening, that's about the end of the story of the little Bigfoot. It's going to get a little spooky again. Sadly, there are stories of modern-day ghosts. These are victims of suicide or accidental death, climbers who got too close to the edge of the rock, even though the park erected a safety fence. A lot of people ignore it because they just want to get as close as possible to the edge of the rock because the view is unbelievable. The spirits of these sad souls who lost their life here supposedly haunt the park. The fence was built in 1990, and although there have been four accidental deaths at Chickie's Rock in the years since the fence went up, that's still a lot less than the deaths the decade before the fence went in. There were 12 deaths between 1981 and 1990, so that's like a little more than one a year. I think about myself visiting a place like this. I am that ridiculous tourist who wants to go into the rooms in historic houses that are roped off, who wants to get to the edge of a view to see everything that I can possibly see. I'm not the kind of person that's going to ignore a safety fence, but I am the kind of person that would probably lean up as close to the safety fence as possible. So if I visit Chickie's Rock, note to self, don't get too close to the safety fence. Something really cool that I learned about this park is that last fall in 2015, the Pennsylvania Game Commission released three wolves into Chickie's Rock County Park as part of a larger wolf reintroduction program across the state of Pennsylvania. So here's hoping those wolves keep the ghosts in check, especially that 16-foot mummy ghost with knives or arrows or some other twisted stuff. <sighs> Caught myself again sticking out of his body. And if there are little miniature Bigfoot people there, I'm sure the wolves will keep them in check as well. About four years ago, Lancaster County hosted a very special tour around Halloween at Chickie's Rock called Haunted Chickie's Under a Full Moon, where visitors could tour the park area that's supposedly haunted with the help of a guide by the light of the moon and some lanterns. And, you know, people would go in the hopes of seeing some paranormal phenomena. So when I read that, I was like, I am going to Lancaster and Chickie's Rock this year for Halloween. Well, I'm not actually heading to Lancaster, at least not for this event, because they don't host this Chickie's Haunted Tour anymore. That tour included passing by a beautiful old abandoned stone farmhouse at the base of the rock, and it's been there since the 1700s. I found a number of different legends about that farmhouse. The original owner tried to deter trespassers, and so he laid booby traps around his house in the 1700s, and one day he decapitated himself with his own traps. 
Supposedly, there's the sound of horses' hooves around the house, and there's a story of a man who buried his gold somewhere near the farmhouse, and it's never been found. There's hidden treasure somewhere at the base of that rock. Besides the old farmhouse, there's the remnants of the iron furnaces that filled the area in the 1800s to the 1900s. Looking at it today, you would never know it was such an industrial area in the mid-19th century. These ruins are barely recognizable, and they're covered with foliage and vegetation and graffiti. There are actually a number of events throughout the year at Chickie's Rock. There is even an Albert Witch Festival. Yes, an entire day dedicated to these little four-foot-tall, mini Bigfoot-looking dudes. There's even t-shirts with a logo that looks like a little baby version of the Bigfoot from Harry and the Hendersons. During my research about Chickie's Rock and all of the stories that I read, there was a name that kept popping up, especially about the Albert Witches. A gentleman named Rick Fraser, who was a member of something called the National Museum of Mysteries and Research Center. I was super psyched when I found him and the Research Center on Facebook. It's like a paranormal society that has different events and meetings. They have a monthly event called Dine with the Spirits where they host a dinner at a haunted historic restaurant that is totally up my alley, so totally friggin' cool. So I sent him a nice note through Facebook. I told him about Twisted Philly, a mini episode I was working on about local legends. I told him about how much of what I read about Chickie's Rock featured his name and his experiences there. And so, of course, I asked him if I could speak with him. I think I told him I don't necessarily need to use our conversation on the show, but maybe could I ask him a few questions? Sadly, Mr. Fisher told me he doesn't do interviews. I guess he doesn't do interviews anymore because I found plenty of interviews, albeit short ones, online. I really would have loved to talk with him, but I guess I'm going to have to drag myself out to one of the events next year at Chickie's Rock. Maybe he'll be there. Maybe I can ask him a few questions, especially about the little Bigfoot people. And I kind of felt bad when he said no. Like, I thought my note was pretty nice. So was it me? Did he just not want to talk to me about the little furry baby Bigfoot? Or is it big feet? Like, what's the plural of Bigfoot? Should I be using the plural of Sasquatch? Is it Sasquatches? I don't know, but somebody figure it out and tell me. So here's this crazy, creepy, bizarre, haunted spot in Lancaster County that I never knew of. And the only reason I found it is because I was researching a legend my grandpa used to tell me when I was a little girl. And it was a legend he stole from another part of Pennsylvania. And it makes me wonder what my grandpa would think of Twisted Philly. Considering the stories he loved to tell, I think he'd really like the content, especially the haunted stories in the legends, maybe not so much the true crime, but any of the old Philly history. I was really little when he passed, so I don't think he had a glimpse into who I would be when I was older. I don't know if he would be surprised that I'm doing something like this or surprised at the content, but I do think he would enjoy it. Now, I was 14 when my grandma passed, and she definitely saw the feisty, rebellious, theatrical teenager that I was, so I don't think she would be at all surprised over Twisted Philly or of the profanity. I think she would be more freaked out about the murder stories, which is what some of my family members call my true crime tales. Man, this was fun. This was light and unexpected, and I love that it brought back so many memories of my grandparents. I tried to interview my mom about other stories that he used to tell, and she said no way. She agreed to let me ask her stuff and then tell all of you what we talk about, but she was adamant about not actually being on the podcast. And she was super cute about it, too. She was all like, no, 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 that's your thing. That's not my thing. She didn't even know what a podcast was when I started the show two months ago. And now she shows her friends and her coworkers and teaches them how to subscribe on iTunes. 
So tell me, Twisters, do you have a family member who likes to spill yarns and embellish local legends? I'd love to hear about it if you do. You can find me on Twitter and Facebook or send me an email at twistedphillyatoutlook.com. Like Nicole did this week. What up, Nicole? Nicole is a listener who sent me a story request, and it was a great suggestion, and it was a case I'd never heard of. Well, we are only a few days from Halloween, and in the last episode, I talked about some terrific events in Philly to help you and yours celebrate my favorite holiday, and I can't wait to hear what you've been up to. Don't forget, please share some photos. If you're the sort that doesn't like to wear costumes, you could just wear a Twisted Philly t-shirt. Well, I mean, not just a t-shirt, like you've got to wear pants too, but you know, you could rock that Twisted Philly t-shirt. We've got men's t-shirts, women's, and kids. You can order it and have it shipped directly to your house. All you have to do is go to twistedphillypodcast.threadless.com. And speaking of Twisted Philly t-shirts, congratulations to Anitra, who was the latest t-shirt winner for being the 20th iTunes review. I'm going to give away another one at the 30th review, but if you can't wait, you can buy your own. They're pretty reasonable. They're only like 20, 25 bucks, depending on the shirt. I hope you guys enjoyed this twisted episode all about Chickie's Rock and getting to know my family a little bit. One thing I want to mention, something that is a bit more scientific than the ghost stories, is that some people believe because Chickie's Rock is this 100-foot formation of quartzite, the materials in the rock mess with the Earth's energy. Chickie's Rock actually has one of the highest suicide rates of anywhere in the state. Is it because of the ghosts and the hauntings, or is it because there really is something messing with the Earth's energy out there? I don't know. But if you do go, please be safe. Don't climb without gear and don't get too close to the edge. That's it from me for tonight. Ciao for now, Twisters.